Support for IPR comes from Des Moines Metro Opera, whose 2024 season features The Barber of Seville, Zalame, Peleus and Melisande, and American Apollo, June 28th through July 21st. Tickets available now at DesMoinesMetroOpera.org. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. It doesn't feel like it, but November is here and winter is coming, and it is time to get your home ready. Our home improvement expert, Bill McAnally, is here today to talk about some of the routine stuff we need to do to get our homes ready for winter and maybe to go beyond the routine as well. Hello, Bill. Hey, good morning, Charity. Thank you so much for being here today. And of course, it is going to get cold. It always does get cold here in Iowa. So what what do we need to be thinking about right now? Well, you know, our routine things, like we talk about, try to at least every year to remind people to probably one of the biggest things is to make sure that you bring your heating and cooling uh, person, whoever you choose, or find a really good company that has great reviews, you know, bring them in and have them look at your heating and cooling system, whether you're, you know, using gas or electric, or some people now are using some, uh, maybe some uh, different types of heating and cooling with energy prices going up, you know, uh, bring a professional in that uh, has a lot of training. And, you know, I always try to tell people, you know, ask them what kind of training you have specifically to the newer equipment because pretty much everybody now has the newer type of equipment, you know, the direct vent um, uh, furnace. You know, they don't have the old galvanized flue, the pipe that goes outside that depends on pressure differences to to operate correctly and prevent carbon monoxide. Um, But, you know, make sure that they understand that. Uh, how the fan works in their furnace that you have, or the type of filter. You know, in the past, you know, Bozo Me, I even remember recommending, you know, geez, get that super big, thick thing, you know, to keep the air good, quality good. And then a person that's uh, much more knowledgeable than that uh, called me up and says, you know, the fan can only do so much. It can only move so much air. So when you have that professional there, ask them, what filter do I need to have that fits the fan and the capacity of the heating and cooling unit that I have, you know, that's still going to give me good air filtration? Um, Because, you know, I'm like everybody else. I look at, um, you know, what I think is going to do the best, and, and many times I might be getting the wrong information. And so, Go with that professional and find out what they recommend uh, best. And it's also a good time while they're there, you know, ask them. They're not plumbers, but ask them about the vent that's on your uh, water heater. And, you know, maybe just glance over there and, and they all pretty much know what, you know, if the water heater is failing, they can see maybe some rust at the top of the vent. And a lot of them are heating and plumbing companies. And so they, they can also take a look at at that as well. Um and, you know, we always talk about air sealing and, you know, we, we, we see a lot of new products, especially this time of year. Um, they, they, they show up on your phone or they show up on Facebook or whatever. Um, when we see a lot of these products come up, they, they almost seem like magic, you know, like the, the one that, you know, they spray. Here's spray. the thing that's going to solve all the yeah. problems that we've had for decades. Right? Yeah, yeah, I'd really like to spray the bottom of my boat with a screen door on it, you know, and, and float around. Sure, that's going to work for me, uh-huh. <laughs> um, so you really want to look at what's going to work for us in here in Iowa. Um, and, you know, the majority of our homes 
in Iowa are fairly old. When you look at the average, uh, especially rural homes, and rural homes are, are an average in Iowa a lot bigger than urban homes, you know, roughly like a third, uh, because a lot of them are just the old, big old four-square you know, farmhouses. And a lot of those don't have upgraded windows, just like some of the houses that we have here in Iowa in the urban areas. There might be windows in there from the 1950s. Um, but if they're well kept and you've done maintenance over the years, they're fairly efficient. I mean, the thing is, you know, the glass itself on these windows doesn't leak. It's around the window, the sash that goes up and down or in and out. Um, you know, the weather stripping that's on them and, and how loose they are. And especially, you know, in the 70s and 80s, even into the 90s, builders like I were, were, were responsible for putting a lot of windows in that now we just, you know, slap ourselves in the head. You know, what were we thinking? We put windows in and it would stuff fiberglass uh, from fiberglass insulation, you know, usually stuff that was left over from insulating the house. We'd jam it in around the windows. And all that really did, it didn't stop the air um, until it really got, that insulation really got dirty because there was so much air going around the window and, and it would get so much dirt in it that it kind of self-clogged. But it the, basically it was filters. It didn't stop anything. And so a lot of times, you know, we special, we kind of focus on just caulking things up which a lot of times is not the best way. But especially on windows and doors, uh, you know, put your hand, your hand is a really good indicator, or the side of your face, but along the trim of a door window. And if you can feel a little bit of a breeze, a lot of times it's worth it, you know, if you're fairly handy to pull the trim off the inside, be very careful because a lot of the older wood is very brittle. Or hire, you know, like a trim carpenter, somebody that that's, uh, you know, pretty meticulous on handling, you know, thinner, uh, nicer wood. Pull that off and then use the correct uh, spray foam. And it's usually labeled as window and door foam so that it doesn't super expand and then move the jams of the window or door in and the door won't work. I mean, I've done that, you know, before as well, grab the wrong can. But but foams are really good in that um application. But the key to it is, is like anything else, if you're going to apply any caulking around windows or any foam, that the surface that you're going to apply it to needs to be clean. And so, you know, you could pull the insulation out, that's fiberglass insulation, the old stuff from around the window. It's still dirty. So you're going to have to get in there with, uh, you know, something that's uh, like you can use some thinner uh, paint thinner to clean, you know, on a rag to clean the dirt off of uh, the inside and vacuum that out. Get it as clean as you possibly can so that the foam that you put in actually sticks to the wood and not just to the dirt. Um, and so that's kind of a key we, we kind of seem to have forgot over the years. We just think, oh, the foam's going to go in there. Yeah, but it's only sticking to, <laughs> you know, this film of dirt or whatever goop is around the windows sometimes. Now, the older houses, you know, these older four squares, uh, a lot of the, the energy savings or weatherization takes place where there's a big gap on the sides of the windows where the window weights that operated the old windows. If you still have those windows in your house, you have to pull the trim off and, and you would fill that whole gap with insulation. Um, but that's only in the case that you're still not using the window with the weights in it, because some still are. Some, some people still are. And there, there are some ways. If you, if you go online, you can find some ways to insulate those and still use, uh, use the weights that, uh, that operate the window up and down. 
Um, there's hardware issues too at a lot of these windows. The old casement windows, those are the ones that swing out. Um, they're more of a vertical window rather than a, um, a single hung or double hung, which, which you just slide up and down. There are some uh, uh, advantages. There's a, there's a company, I'm not pushing anything, but it's uh, Swisco. Uh, it's S-W-I-S-C-O. They handle hardware the, um, for a lot of times older windows or windows that uh, maybe the company went out um, of business. And they can, you, know, you can find the hardware to replace it to tighten the existing windows up. Uh, some, of the, some of the windows, when you go and want to make them more efficient, maybe the sash is kind of rotten. So there's some epoxies that you can, wood epoxies that you can apply to re- basically rebuild that sash and then buy new weather strippings so that that window, you can, a really good person that, uh, that can work on windows can bring that window back to almost new as far as uh, efficiency and operation. So, you know, we're trying to stay maybe away so much from the caulkings, uh, but go back to more weather strippings because weather strippings last a long time. Um, whereas caulking, like, you know, that's the same as the foams. It's only as good as what it sticks to. You could buy a lifetime warranty caulk and come back a year later and just grab it and it pulls right out because it didn't stick to anything. Mm. So it doesn't do any good. So you want to check out your doors and windows. You might want to have uh, an energy efficiency audit done on your home. We'll talk more about that a little bit later on. But you also want to do some things outside your home too. You want to check the gutters, make sure they're in good shape, right? Right. You know, check your gutters, make sure that since the mowing season is over, you know, make sure and put that extension on the bottom of your downstouts back on because you you, you moved it out of the way. You know, have it ready for spring, um, you know, so that have that shoved on so that the water goes at least least six feet away from your, your foundation. Um, you know, we see a lot of these uh, uh, at the bottom of a gutter, they'll put like a little two-foot extension. That's not doing a whole lot. You've got to get that water like five, six feet away. And now's a really good time as well, especially since it is warm and we haven't had, um, you know, basically much rain lately, is, you know, really look around your, your foundation and make sure that it isn't sloping, the soil around the foundation isn't sloping towards the house so that when we start getting some snow and then we start getting some melt, um, you know, that it isn't going towards your basement and then getting around your foundation and possibly getting in, you know, underneath your floor. Um, one other thing, too, to look at is is right now is since it is so dry, Look right next to the foundation and see how there's sometimes a really big crack in the soil because the soil's dry and it's pulled away from the foundation. Take take a look at that because sometimes you can actually, I've seen where it's maybe an inch and a half, and you can actually stick a flashlight down there and see right below ground level. Sometimes you'll see some some like concrete block decay where the mortar's actually falling out, but you didn't see it because the soil is there. Mm. So sometimes that's just a little thing to look at. But now's a good time, especially with this being so dry, is to get some extra soil if you can, you know, start creating a slope away from the house. Now you still have to keep that soil that's around the foundation six to eight inches away from your siding. Uh, In the past, I remember here on the show, I said add more soil, and then I went up to Humboldt and looked and They'd actually brought it up almost right to the siding, which I in my I was my mistake because I didn't say you know keep it down a little bit, um, but yeah you want to keep that soil away so that the 
that the uh, grass doesn't grow up and get behind your siding or water when it rains doesn't splash off of the ground and bounce up behind your siding and, and gets the wood wet. So I see a lot of new houses that are have the soil right next to the siding. And if you look at the directions on the siding, they want six to eight inches. Building code says, you know, roughly eight inches, six to eight inches. So you need to keep that down, but yet try to create a slope. Or you may have to, you know, dig a trench. Uh, you know, not, not really a trench, but more of a swale to guide the water around. Now well, is the perfect time. All right. I'm, my to-do list has already yes. gotten so long. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in just a moment. I'm talking with Bill McNally, our home. Bill McAnally. Oh. Our, I can't believe I did that. Yeah. Our home improvement <laughs> expert. He'll also Ooh. be answering your questions. <laughs> Give us a call. 866-780-9100 is the number to call. You can send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. This is Talk of Iowa. Support for IPR comes from Des Moines Metro Opera, whose 2024 season features The Barber of Seville, Zalame, Peleus and Melisande, and American Apollo, June 28th through July 21st. Tickets available now at DesMoinesMetroOpera.org. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Our home improvement expert, Bill McAnally, is here today, and he is ready to answer your questions. You can give us a call at 866-780-9100. You can send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. And, Bill, there were so many things on our list that we didn't get to in that first segment, but I do want to give you the opportunity to to just talk a little bit about space heaters, because this is a time of year that a lot of people want to take shortcuts to keep their homes warm and we see a lot of enticing ads that tell us that this is the product that's going to solve all your problems. You disagree. No, I'm just having a hard time. I know right? you're having a hard time. I can't time look recovering. at you. Not laugh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Bill, Bill, Bill. You say a guy's name wrong one time. We've known each other for 12 years. I say your name wrong once. Oh, you're I'm not going to hold it against you. Oh, oh, yeah, you are. Oh, yeah, I will. Yep, you're yep. right. <laughs> All right. Space heaters, okay. Bill. All right. Yeah, so what about them? <laughs> you, you have um, some real real reservations. Yeah, I have real reservations about them. You know, there's, they were marketed. Uh, it was kind of funny when they first came out. It was kind of like this magic heater you could put in your house. And I remember at first, when they first came out, they were like $500 a piece. But then they'd throw in this free Amish cabinet that came with it. It was always the whole back page of a magazine or, uh, you know, full, like in a newspaper, a nice colored ad. And gradually they've got down to, I think now you get it for about 25 bucks. Um, some of them actually work fairly well for a small room. I mean, it's just basically electric resistance heat, uh, kind of a hopped up one. But, but still, if you ever talk to an energy auditor, um, if you ask them the question, can you kind of tell if somebody has a couple of these heaters in the house? And he goes, yes, because I can look back at last year's electric usage. And they're probably heating their house with gas. So he can immediately see that the gas has stayed maybe just a little bit less now with those heaters in it. But he said the electric bill, the cost and a kilowatt hour usage is just sky high because you're just replacing 
one type of heating with something that's not as efficient. Uh, you know, gas furnaces now are, you know, they say roughly 98% efficient. Um, sure, electric heat is 100% efficient, but, you know, direct, direct electric heat is, but still you're paying more when you consider the cost of the energy. So you're really not, you know, in the long run really saving anything unless your, your electric rates are super, super low. Uh, but then there's also some of the heaters that use like propane, um, they'll use uh, kerosene. They're kind of coming back. People are looking at their high energy costs, trying to find out a way, well, maybe I can turn the furnace off or shut it off in these rooms, and then I'll use this little heater in another room. And, you know, in theory, that, that, that sounds okay, and in some cases it may work, but the last thing you want to do is use something that that actually has a get like a liquid fuel or gas fuel inside the house without it being direct vented outside and the air to com- for combustion comes from outside anytime you use inside air for combustion which is for these these things to actually operate you're you're taking oxygen out of your area your room your breathing area and then you're possibly bringing in nitrous oxide, oxygen, you know, and there's been a few things on, on the web here lately about we're really not looking at carbon monoxide so much as nitrous oxide now um, and the effects that it has on human. Yeah, the carbon monoxide's a killer, and nitrous oxide is as well. So there's a lot of things bad about using anything that combusts inside your house, you know, and I used to when I would get talking with someone and I just couldn't get them to go. And I said, well, okay, imagine just bringing your car inside your house and running your car. It's the same thing. You know, there's no difference. And so, you know, that kind of, that kind of brings it home a little bit. So if you're going to use temporary heat of some sort and you're looking at that, you know, find uh, electric heat like that, but you got to remember that you may be paying more for energy, but use something that's not going to affect the indoor health of uh, of the house and you. Um, so, and that's the other thing is when we look at these things, you're far better off put the money in tightening your home, getting better ventilation and better filtration in your home than you are putting the money into that heater. Right. Um, the other thing is that heater is not going to be used all the time, whereas ventilation and weather stripping is going to be used year-round. I mean, it applies also to air conditioning, not right. just heating. So the the quality of the air you yes. breathe within your home makes a difference. Let's yes. get to the phones. 866-780-9100 is the number to call. You can send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. Randy's up first in Brooklyn. Hi, Randy. Hi. Morning. How you doing, Bill? Hey, great. What's up? So uh, I live in a house that was built in 1964. Some of the windows have been replaced. The, the doors are going outside, have a blast in the screen door, and everything seems to leak. Would I be better off just to buy a new doors? Um, are the doors original from 64? No. Okay. Um, you know, you may, you may want to just check around the doors um, and check for that insulation and check for the weather stripping that's around the, the doors. Um there are some, you know, weather strippings you can buy from, you know, hardware store or big box store that are additional to the ones that came with the door. 
because even in the 60s, um, let's see, I was I was doing some stuff actually in the late 60s um, that, you know, they had the integrated weather stripping. And that's by now, as I know, just probably shot. So now you can uh, you can go to the hardware store and buy the type of weather stripping. They have magnetic. They have the uh, kind of a more of a vacuum type one, kind of a collapsible one. Have the person that's at the store show you exactly how they all perform and against the type of door. Now, is your door a steel door or wood door? I'm sorry. I just... Oop, did we lose him? No, he's he's still with us. Okay. Um, there we go. Hey, well, Bert, Andy, I'm sorry about that. Um, you want to repeat your question, Bill? Um, yeah. Um, I was just saying, is, is your door a steel or wood? Steel. Okay, steel. Yeah, um, you, you know they have some. They have the new ones have come out where there's some pretty decent magnetic ones that still work uh, even even if you have a lot of coats of paint on them. Um, but uh, I would just go that route for right now, um, unless the threshold is bad. If the threshold is bad, or the you know, the jams of the door where they attach the threshold down at the bottom. If they're getting kind of soft or punky, you know, we we say punky like, you know, you could take your thumb and kind of push it. And if it's starting to rot down there or if the threshold's bad, then you're starting to look, okay, by the time I put weather stripping on, by the time I put a new threshold in, I'm probably just better off getting a new door. Um, the prices are the prices are high, you know, artificially high right now. Um, you kind of got to weigh that. Should I wait till prices maybe come down or put one in now? But um, I've ordered, unless it's a stock size or something that you can buy that's in stock at the stores. Um, right now, I ordered uh, some stuff, and it's six to eight weeks out. So I would check wherever you would like to, you know, maybe buy that stuff, if how long it would take, and then you can maybe say, well, I'll just wait till spring. You know, that's just kind of a, you know, an if or do it now or do it later. But if you've got to do all that work, I just replace it with a, with a good fiberglass door. Um, I would really, I would upgrade to that and just not do another steel. All right, Randy, thanks a lot for the call. 866-780-9100 is the number. John is on the line next in Des Moines. Hi, John. Well, good morning. Uh, I have a daughter who bought a new house. Well, not a new house. It's an old house in a very small town in another state. And she told me that her furnace is fuel oil, and I have absolutely no experience with something like that. Can you give me any kind of tips that I should be looking for? Well, you know, um, you know, it's it's surprising. Uh, I have, in fact, I have a friend coming down from lives on Lake Superior. He's driving down from Wisconsin right now, and, and up in that area, and in northeast Iowa, you see a lot of fuel oil. I was I was surprised when I went up towards the Lansing area a couple of years ago how many houses up there were you know using fuel oil. Uh, I don't see it over you know in the Ford Dodge area at all, but it's kind of it's kind of. Uh, uh, geographically, you know, it has its hot spots. Now, the fuel oil, you know, what I understand is, you know, the market on the fuel oil sometimes is is a little tough. The one thing I do not like, and I'm sure it's all right. I mean, otherwise you wouldn't think they'd be doing it. But it seems like every fuel oil place I go, the tank was in the basement. That just scares the, the heck out of me, you know. Some of them have them outside, but the ones that I was in, they had a fuel oil tank in the basement. So you constantly had that smell and i don't know if that's oh, yeah. legal anymore or not but they the ones I hope not they yeah i hope not you know i i would look at you know um if if the duct work that's the key is 
you know, if if it's an older home that has fuel oil, I'm sure the ductwork is probably not designed correctly. I would have a heating and per- cooling person come in where she's at and see if she can switch to, um, say, a air. Is she farther north than us or farther south? Uh, it would be uh, she's a little north of uh, Highway 30 in Nebraska. Okay, yeah, I would I would look at um, air source heat pumps. Um, they've gotten uh, tremendously more efficient uh, over the last decade. Um, I just put one in for myself that is in northern Minnesota that's good down to 22 below. And uh, you can actually, in some cases, depending on the utility companies, if you have all, all electric heat, but yet you have a secondary uh, heat source like dual fuel, like say a direct vent uh, gas fireplace, whether you run it or not, but as long as this direct vent pulls outside air in, combusts and goes straight out, um, you can get down to only paying five cents a kilowatt hour for electricity. So then that goes a long ways to monthly bills. Plus there's uh, right now through the federal government and maybe Nebraska or the, and the utility companies, there's some pretty doggone good rebates on uh, air source heat pumps. Uh, So they're all electric and at the same time, you know, if a water heater is is starting to fade out, look at a a heat pump water heater uh, rather than, uh, I don't know what she's doing with with fuel oil on that. That's kind of out of my arena as well. But now is a good time because there's a lot of government incentives to replace a lot of that and, and save your monthly bills and, and take advantage of rebates. Uh, but to me, I just, I, just, I just don't like fuel oil mostly because I, I, in my memory, I remember my uncle had it and I could always remember that smell. I could still remember it in their house, the, the smell of it. Um, it's kind of, it's, you know, it's kind of not, I kind of a nice, you know, remembrance, but still, I can still remember right. that smell, you know. Well, and with everything you know about air quality now, yeah. I'm sure that that gives you some pause. Yeah, and th- yes, it does. And, and then the market, I mean, that market is just crazy, uh, fuel oil market is. I know they have real issues with up in the Northeast United States. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, that's what I would do. Uh, it was my daughter, I'd say, let's, let's get that out of there. Let's go with air source heat pump and take advantage of those uh, rebates and such and incentives. John, thanks a lot for the call. Ron is on the line next in Trenton, Missouri. Hi, Ron. Thanks. Uh, Disclosure, in that other millennium, I was a soil scientist, and uh, Dr. Woodruff taught us about uh, the droughts in the 30s and 50s when the two-story buildings went up and down. Yes. These were built out of out of limestone blocks (laughs) and the shrinkage and swellage of the clay soil. Yes. So this is a follow-up to the one-and-a-half-inch air gap around a basement wall because of the drought. Yes. If we fill that gap with soil material or gravel or whatever, over the next few years, when the soil gets wet and swells up again, is it going to collapse our basement walls inward, it, especially if they're made out of concrete block? It, you know, it can. And uh, um, where, where the key is, and I'm glad you brought that up because in a lot of cases, what I've had people do is the first four feet, I've had them use like a, not really a pool liner, but a, like a, a 90 mil rubber liner that will seal against the foundation and go out four feet. So any water comes down, sheds, you know, away from where the overdig was. 
Um, you're co- you're a hundred percent correct because if you put something down inside that that goes down all the way, you know, other than maybe the top couple inches, but goes down all the way, when that soil expands, like uh, a lot of ours do, especially Southwest Iowa, um, like Missouri, Colorado, there's a certain amount of bentonite, which is a which is a you know a product you know a product that we seal wells with because yeah. it expands so well. Um, but yes, and especially concrete block. I mean, I used to lay concrete block in the seventies and eighties. I loved doing it. I mean, it was fun, but they have no strength horizontally, laterally. I mean, that's why we lose foundations in Iowa. It's not from the up and down, you know, the vertical loads, it's that side loads, just like you're saying, we all of a sudden, let's say we get really wet year next year, that soil could push back, might want to push back two, three inches, um, and you're you're 100 correct. We don't want to completely fill that, and, I'm, and I hope I didn't convey that earlier that I that you completely fill it. I just kind of wanted to look down in there and see what's going on. But I'm really glad you brought that up. That's that's a really good point. Ron, thanks so much for the call. And here's an email from Jill. She says you were talking about the new efficient furnaces. Are you even saving money in the long run? For example, I had my new efficiency furnace and AC put in, received the Mid American Energy rebate, but 13 years later I had to replace the compressor, and the following year had to replace the air conditioner. The old furnaces lasted 30 years. <laughs> Do we really save anything at all? Jill, you're frustrated. I hear yes. that. But but what are your thoughts about that? Bill? You know, the, and and that's the sad part. Yes. Uh, you know, I have a geothermal heat pump system in my in my own house, and I've had it now for it's probably 18 years old. Now the new ones that are going in are so much more efficient, but I don't know if they're going to last that 18 years. Um, you know, because if you really go out in the country, especially, uh, you'll still run into people have the old international harvester freezers. You know, they're costing you probably 50 bucks a month to run, but by golly, they'll last. You know, I swear they're going to be here in, in year 3,000. But new ones, you know, 13, 14, 15 years, that's about a lot of times their life. And I think, I think we're, we're expecting them to last longer. It's kind of funny how those appliances, and you're paying off a lot for them, they're high efficiency. But you hope that during that time period that you saved enough in your mind against something that was a lot less efficient. And I just kind of roll back. I, I kind of look at, well, the less efficient ones, a lot of times we're using inside air for combustion. Your indoor air quality wasn't as good. Um, so just on the health aspect, they're better. But, you know, I agree with you. I'm, I'm kind of old school. I think that like cars now, seems like cars don't rust near like they used to. How come they're lasting longer? But yet I can't get, a like I say, a furnace to last longer. But 13 years on a compressor, a lot of times, it's is, is pretty good. I mean, I... So you, got, the, you got to look at the big picture. Yeah, look at the, the big energy picture. energy efficiency in addition to... And a lot of those water heaters, you look, they say they weren't, you know, they, they're good for five years. The five years, you know, I, it's unbelievable that they don't last 15, 20. But, you're, you know, I, I'm right there with you. I don't know. It seems like they just go for so long and then they poop out on you and you, you got to buy new. But stick with the, the higher efficiency, um, mostly for the... Uh, control. The newer ones are actually, I think, going to last longer. I, I think the technology has gotten a little bit better. Oh, that's so hard when you're an early adopter. And yes, yes. A few years later. Yeah. Oh, I should have waited. All right. Yep. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in just a moment. Our home improvement expert, Bill McAnally, is here today. He is ready to answer your questions. 866-780-9100 is the number to call or email talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. This is Talk of Iowa. 
I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Our home improvement expert, Bill McAnally, is here today. He is ready and willing to answer your questions about the home improvement projects in your life. 866-780-9100 is the number to call. 866-780-9100. You can also send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. John is on the line in Des Moines. Hi, John. Hello. Hi. What would you like to talk about? I'd like to talk about old windows. Hey, all right. Bill, <laughs> Bill, I work exclusively on homes built prior to World War II. Okay. And I'd just like to point out that, that, that those products are very, very different than windows that were built after World War II. You're right. You're so right. We, we, you, you, you want to talk about replacement windows. I totally get that because the vast majority of houses um, are built after World War II and have of a very low quality window in them. So the replacement window people have an important role to play. I joke that they're called replacement windows because <laughs> you have to replace them often. <laughs> yeah. So you're you're an advocate the, for, well, for working on the windows that you've got if now, they're pre World War Two. Yeah, that's what I, you're saying, John. Yeah, I you know I, I haven't really been a so much proponent of replacement windows unless they're really bad, but but um because there was a study done by a guy in Des Moines that said of replacement windows, now this going by his numbers, took 42 years to pay off, whereas putting high-efficiency storms on the older existing windows was less than 10. Would you agree with that? That's pretty good if you upgrade your old windows. Ab- absolutely. There we go. That's the best addition you can add to, a, to an old window right. is that uh, properly instor- installed high-efficiency storm. Yep. I've got two windows on the workbench right now that are 110 years old um, with almost no maintenance. And for less than the price of new windows, I can restore them uh, to their original glory, maintain the architectural uh, intent of the home and the curb appeal. I just, in my opinion, new windows aren't nearly as pretty as old windows. And, you know, I have... Uh, um I just do a lot of work with Iowa Economic Development Authority and um, on some some projects, and I've been keeping a log of uh, some of the lower grade replacement windows, um, the ones you can buy super cheap. You know, I mean, really, really cheap, um, and they're they're all vinyl. Um, not I don't know what the deal is with the quality of the vinyl, but I've got a couple really good pictures with a top sash. On a single hung window, it's only about 30 inches wide, and that top sash has a dip in it already of about three quarters of an inch, mm. and uh, it's probably two years old. So, you know, when you are really, if you're going to replace them, we're just really trying to say if you are going to replace them, you know, kind of think about the old ways. Go with a better quality. Go with like a fiberglass if you're going to replace them. But yeah, these these old windows. And uh, are you epoxying? You know, the are you using epoxy on some of the yeah. sashes and such to bring yeah, them back the, up? The product we the product we use is called Abitron. <laughs> um, am I not allowed to say brand names? I'm sorry. No, I'm really um, glad you said that because a few years ago, 
Charity really nailed me. For some reason, I kept saying it was named Albatross. Oh. <laughs> and she said, no, it's not Albatross. And Because I was trying to say the product you, and I was thinking, what am I saying? And then she said, wait a minute, you, you just kept saying Albatross. And she was right. Or no, it was, it was the tuna. What was it? Albacore tuna? Albacore, yeah. That's what it was, I kept saying. Yeah. So it's uh, not, yeah. not Albacore. No, 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 it's not. No, it's not tuna. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. It was just a light moment there for a second. I, I, I think you need to start listening to Charity more frequently. <laughs> I do. She's a lot smarter than I right, am, and, and you know I'm going to hang. I'm, I don't have a, the ability to hang up on you, but you keep that kind of comments up. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I should be listening to her. <laughs> well, so the, the, that, that product is is a little on the spendy side, but um, even in a corner of a window that's completely rotted out, you can rebuild that corner. Um, just it, it takes a little bit of effort, a little bit of sculpting, but you can saw this stuff, you can sand it, um, you, you can mill it and plane it. It's an amazing product, and, and, and for salvaging those old windows, um, we can do it cheaper than certainly not the low-quality replacements, but the, uh, the high-quality replacements with a 20-year service life, I can get another 100 years out of these windows. Yeah, yeah. And if you think, you think, you think people go, well, what about green? What about efficiency? If you start thinking about green, start thinking about the logging, the transportation, the manufacturing, the, the, the new finishes that have to get applied, saving that old window is magnitudes greater in, in consideration of green simply because you don't have to start from scratch. Right, right. Well, yep, you're right. John, thank you so much for bringing that up. And I have heard it said many times that the greenest house is a house that already exists. It is. But yep. you need to make changes to make it more energy efficient. But, John, thank you so yeah, much thanks, for, for bringing that up. And uh, next, let's go to Scott in Hawkeye. Hi, Scott. Hello. Hi, what's your question? I'm, uh, well, I'm embarking on a new project this fall. I'm going to build a rocket mass heater in my home. Uh, that burns wood. Yeah. And I was curious if if you have any experience with them and how they might impact my uh, homeowner's insurance. <laughs> well, I've seen them a little bit uh, um, online, and I've looked at them. I think they, they, they're pretty cool. I mean, I really like it, but I could tell you from experience that I would not bring that up to your insurance agent because they'd tell you immediately, uh, n- no. Um, you could go ahead and do it out in the shop that we're not going to insure for you, but you can put it, you know, they're really, I mean, the technology is so simple, but yet they work so well. Um, and you see them in third world countries uh, so much, uh, you know, where they're using uh, like waste manure and everything on those as well. But, yeah, your insurance agent would just go crazy. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, people out west. I mean, I know Oregon. I've seen a lot of videos from people in Oregon, and I think the insurance companies out there have been pr- pretty friendly to the idea. But, uh, uh, you know. I don't know in Iowa. New, we hear- <laughs> All right. Yeah, I don't know. It's a neat idea, though. I li- I like them. I think. Well, and cool. can you describe it a little bit for me, Bill? Yeah, for people you know, who the, don't know what they are. The ones that I've seen, and and, and Scott helped me out, but um, you know, they're just uh, the ones I've seen are just a small, simple metal basic framework rather than a huge stove. Is that the same kind you're talking? The real small one, maybe a one cubic foot. Well, it's a. Um, it's or are you talking a, the larger one? I'm sorry. It, it, well, this is pretty larger. It, uh, the rocket heater is a highly efficient firebox design, yep. 
that creates the draft up front with a right. heat riser. Yep. And then after the heat riser, it pushes the exhaust through a mass, in this case, um, a couple thousand pounds of cob. And then that stores the heat. So you do your burn uh, briefly and at a very hot, high efficiency. And then you, um, uh, then you store that heat for a longer period in the cob. Yeah, that's because yeah, the operation. I guess I was thinking of the smaller ones where you know where they don't have so much mass. They'll just kind of have a small solid concrete block above them. You know that where that like you say they burn them in the front. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's almost like uh, you know the finished stoves where you're really utilizing that mass. Kind of going back to the solar days. So yeah, the one you're thinking of is I guess my mistake there, but the one you're thinking of is a lot more efficient. You may be able to do that with them. Then you might be able to if. The, uh, the thing is, what has usually been with them is if you get an engineer's stamp on it, you're pretty good. So if you get an engineer's stamp, you right, might so be okay. Dot your I's and cross your T's yeah, and, yeah, and be careful. Yeah, that, that might be the way to go then. All right, Scott, thanks for the call. Yeah, Al is on the line next in Van Meter. Hi, Al. Hi there. I'm uh, in the process of building a retaining wall um, out of the concrete recon blocks or bunker blocks. And the question is, what type of material to put behind that to keep water and material from penetrating through those? Well, the last one that the last one that I did is about ten foot tall. Actually, it goes from about ten foot tall down to nothing, and it's holding back uh, a driveway um, that that goes in at that ten foot height. And um, we used uh, clean uh, limestone. Um, what I did was I called the the, uh, um, the retaining wall company, you know, it, but this was a you know a a, a, um, a product uh, that was uh, bought from a landscaping company. I called the factory and I said, okay, I see your directions, but if this was your personal wall, <laughs> um, what would you put behind it? And he goes, well, I would use clean rock. Make sure that I have a drain tile at the bottom of course, to allow any, any water that does get behind the wall to drain away. But the big key was, you know, they make that reinforcement mesh that um, kind of looks yeah. like, you know, that's orange snow fence, kind of like that. In the, direction, right. it, in the directions, it said you could put it every fourth course. He said if it was me, I would put it every other course, go back four feet and have the rock integrated into that. And so that's what we did. And, I mean, I used a little more rock, but this this thing has been eight years, and it hasn't moved a quarter of an inch. Um, and I could tell because the concrete driveway comes right up against the block at the top. And so okay. I, I think that was the key, was that extra reinforcement horizontally that we put in to keep that wall from moving sideways and, and, and have the, all that clean rock in there so there's no water pressure. Kind of like earlier on, that soil, the soil scientist guy was mentioning, you know, the, the lateral pressure. There's no lateral pressure on that wall this way. And clean rock, once it's, once it's in place, it doesn't expand and contract. You know, it's not like right, rock right. that has fines in it. So, I mean, that's, that's what I did, and I'm really happy how it's turning out. Well, I'm using these 2,100-pound blocks. Yep. They're 2 foot by 2 foot by 4 foot, and they've got a keyway in them. Right. So they, they lock onto each other. And then I was going to put a rubber roofing material membrane right behind that so there's no moisture penetration sure. through the cracks and crevices. Yep. Um, and I didn't know whether it's better to use a, a, a solid membrane like that or the, the geotextile that will filter the dirt but let the water through. 
and kind of help the water run down. Yeah, I kind of like the open to let it get out to, so that you have a relief at the base. Um, you know, because you, you just kind of run it by it. It could possibly pool against that and cause some pressure. I'm not a soil scientist, you know, or, or anybody that really knows all that, right. but I'm just thinking I really want to have that be able to drain away, take that pressure Right, away. and I want to put a tile, uh, a perforated tile along the bottom underneath the, the I'm using three-quarter inch river rock backfill. Okay. And um, I, I want to put the, a tile at the bottom of that, but I was wondering if I should put what type of membrane between the, the, the backfill and the wall itself, or if I even need a membrane there. Yeah, I don't know if you really need the membrane there, but at least you get that positive drainage. That's the biggest thing. I don't think you would really need that then. Okay. But, yeah. Okay. Um, Very good. Okay. Well, hey, thanks. Yeah, thanks a lot for the call, Al. And uh, we have just a few minutes left, probably time for one more call at 866-780-9100. But uh, I also want to ask you, Bill, because we were talking about this off the air earlier, you were talking about some frustrations that you have with new construction. And of course, when people hire somebody to build them a home, they do make the assumption that it's going to be built to code and yes. it's going to be more energy efficient than an older home that they could buy. And you're not necessarily seeing that. No, I, I'm not. And in the past uh, year or so, I'm seeing it where it's just it's just very frustrating that we have building codes, we have energy codes, and uh some cases where they have good code officials are being followed, in other cases they're not. And it's the person that's buying that home or building that's going to be penalized down the road. And it's, it's kind of like we were talking earlier, you know, uh, you have 100, you can have windows for 100 years. Well, if you build this building correctly to code, which is a D minus on a grade score, you're going to have a lot less in energy bills. You're going to have better indoor air quality and the building will hold up to, you know, to, to rain and moisture and these things. And so for Iowans, um, I think we now have, uh, have the Iowa Green Streets criteria from the Iowa Economic Development Authority. It was developed by Jeff Geertz and his team there. And it's, a, it's just a tremendous resource for information um, if you're going to build new or put an addition on. And also, if you are going to build new, there's some Iowa uh, proto... Uh, high-performance uh, home prototype plans on there that Kevin Nordmeyer from uh, BNIM Architects in, in Des Moines and his team came up with. And it, these, these plans are so practical if you're thinking of building new because the practicality of the designs is so easy. It's not like what you see so much on the market, you know, the typical layout. The, the plans that they develop are very forward-thinking, simpler more efficient to build, more affordable to build, and they're universal design. So they're, you know, homes that you can have zero-step entry and age in place from from baby, you know, to passing on um, and live in comfort. So, you know, if you're thinking of that, because in the Iowa Green Studies criteria, there's a tremendous amount of information, resources listed. Um, and, and I, I, you know, I, that's why, that's why these plans and, and, and ideas were brought up is to help Iowans. So if, if you're thinking of that, do that route. And we're trying to teach or trying to show some, some people when they show us plans and things that, Hey, you know, this is what we did in the seventies and I'm not knocking them. It's just that they haven't had a chance to see what better construction and sometimes 
following the code or going way beyond the code. You know, it's very, actually, it's pretty simple to build like a net zero ready home or net zero home. It's just following certain rules. All right. And it's easy to find this information online. Just search for Green Street or Green Streets Criteria, Iowa, and you can find it. But I, I think that a lot of people, when they're building a home, once they sign that contract, they don't necessarily no. think that they have to remain engaged and, and make sure that the, the ideas that were talked about are being followed. But you're saying that we do. Yeah, You have to stay engaged. You know, years ago in the Fort Dodge Messenger, we asked the question, um, in the in the paper said, you know, do you expect your new home or addition to be built to all applicable codes and standards? I think it was eighty nine percent said yes. Well, in some sure. cases, it's not. It's it. You have to stand your ground. And say you know, the first thing I tell people: What was the blower door test on your last house? And if they go, well, we didn't do it. Okay, well, then you didn't build a code house. It's the simplest thing to ask is what was the blower door test because it's required by law on a new – by building code by a new home or new addition. If they didn't do it, then move on. You know, find somebody that understands – there's a lot of really good builders in Iowa, a lot of builders that have tremendous morals and ethics. They're thinking of you first. And so you, you want to find somebody that's going to say, yes, I build past the building code. And uh, ask a code officials. You know, that's that's what they're there for. But you have to stay engaged. And so you kind of, hey, if you don't ask, you're going to get what, you know, basically what you paid for. Bill, I know you give a lot of workshops for builders. I think you need to do workshops for consumers, too. So <laughs> well, we used to. I guess to. that's what we're doing today. <laughs> yep, yep. There you go. That's why we're here. Yep. <laughs> All right. Bill McAnally, thank you so much. Thank you, Charity. Our home improvement expert, Bill McAnally, comes by once a month or so to talk about your home improvement issues and answer your questions as well. Talk of Iowa is a production of IPR News. Our producers are Caitlin Troutman, Samantha McIntosh, and Danny Gear. Our executive producer is... Is Catherine Perkins, and we get technical support frequently from Tony Sarabia. Our intern is Natalie Dunlap. You can get in touch with us anytime. Talk of Iowa at iowapublicradio.org. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Just search for Talk of Iowa wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Charity Nebbe.